Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military, but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 57 of the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show brought to you by the Change Your POV podcast network. Today's guest is Carl LaFaro, a licensed clinical social worker and Army veteran. If it sounds like Carl and I are just two buddies having a conversation, it's because we knew each other before the Headspace and Timing podcast and blog were even a thing. In this episode, Carl and I have a wide-ranging conversation about something that both of us are passionate about and frustrated about, veterans accessing mental health care services. We take a look at what keeps a veteran from reaching out for mental health counseling and what changes need to be made in order to help them do so. That's maybe another thing that's really important to note is that we, I think I want this problem to be solved overnight. I hope all of us want this, you know, to wake up tomorrow and never hear about another veteran completing suicide. But yeah, let's look at the change in generations. Um, so I have a Korean War veteran who's 88 that, that I meet with occasionally. And, and, I, and he didn't start talking about these problems until, you know, he, he retired very late in life until he was in his early to mid 80s. And he was talking to family members and they said, hey, we'd never heard these stories before. Um, and then the family member, a family member knew me and said, hey, why don't you talk, talk to Carl? And then, you know, in this message that I get from him and that he wants everybody to know is don't wait until you're 80. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show. Change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veteran service members and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. How about uh, you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and kind of uh, uh, who you are, where you've been, what you're doing, and where you're going? Okay. I'm Carl Afaro. Um, I am currently the manager of Veteran and Military Family Services at Jefferson Center for Mental Health. We're a community mental health agency that uh, has my, my program among many others. Um, and our mission within my program is to provide mental health services for those impacted by military service, whether it's the veteran or the family member. Um, and we're trying to be as inclusive as possible um, with those definitions. Um, I just also want to mention that I don't speak for my agency and these ideas are all my own. Um, so 
little bit of background. I served in the Army from 2000 to two, uh, 2005 to 2009 as a mental health specialist, 68 X-ray, which uh, our job was kind of like a medic where we provided support to a mental health professional, usually a social worker. And as with every job in the Army, we get to end up doing a whole lot more than we're trained for. Uh, and that's something that was really exciting. I got to do a lot of mental health services, both uh, stateside and when I was deployed to Iraq. Um, so I got, I got a lot of exposure um, to multiple areas of the Army, and um, it, was, it was pretty exciting. Um, pretty exciting stuff, I guess, um, for a rather pogish MOS. Um, when I got out in 2009, I got a job as a civilian at Fort Meade, uh, doing, in fact, the exact same work. Um, with the same job title, um, just that I could grow a beard and, and wear civilian clothes to work every day and call out if I didn't feel like coming to work. So sort of like special forces. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I was like a special forces mental health guy. That's a great way of describing it. Yeah, I had the beard. I had the civilian clothes. I had the cocky attitude. Yeah, so I was like a special forces mental health guy. Yeah, you could call in whenever you wanted, not show up to the team room. Yeah, why yeah. not? And it was at Fort Meade, so a lot of mysterious things were happening. Who knows that it wasn't in our mental health clinic. Yeah, and after that, I went I went to social work school and um, kind of switched gears a little bit. Um, and then I decided, yeah, I actually really care about veterans, and I really want to devote my life to working with them around mental health issues. So kind of came back to the fold and have been doing this job at Jefferson Center for about the past four years. Um, and so that's kind of my background. And, and I guess, do you want me to speak about kind of maybe my personal interests or passions right now or why I do this work? Uh, I mean, and, and really just to kind of, you know, uh, touch on some of that, I often, you know, tell people uh, I was not a mental health professional. I wasn't even in the mental health field in the military, but you were. Um, I actually went to school with uh, uh, um, uh, my master's program um, with a mental health specialist, too. And so you actually had a background in the military um, of, of doing this. Um, and so you have a lot kind of a deeper and richer experience and in, in, in more uh, longer experience than I have. Uh, but I think the other thing that's that's unique is uh, we've known each other. I think uh, maybe with the exception of one other guest, you and I have known each other the longest, um, probably going on three or four yeah. years now. And and we first connected um, with, uh, with our mutual work in the Veterans Court. Uh, so you work with Justice Involved Veterans or, or have yeah. done some work with that in the past, like me too. Yeah, I think I think that's now that you mention it, yeah, it has been really about three years since we first connected. Um, and I think that we're, you know, I was, as, as a non-VA employee, you know, to, to be doing the veterans work in my community, you know, for our community, it kind of was isolating because there aren't that many of us that were doing the work. Um, and then especially not that many of us that were looking to talk about it, that um, there are many, you know, honestly, there are many mental health professionals that happen to be veterans and they even focus on veterans. But um, I think that many of us like are wanting to just put our head down and do the clinical work and maybe not try to do the systemic change that I think both you and I are looking at is, is a bigger picture. Yeah, it is a very inward focused and introspective um, career field. Um, and, and again, you and I have had, we, we should have recorded all oh, yeah. of our conversations that we've had before, uh, but have talked about the idea that, um, we're so convinced that our product works and it does work, yeah. you know, our, um, you know, therapy does work, but we're so convinced in the efficacy of what we're doing 
that everybody will just know that and they'll just come in and buy our product without yeah. us having to sell it. And that's not really the case. Yeah, that, that we're like, oh, we're veterans who provide mental health care. We know that within our community there are a lot of veterans that are impacted by this these issues. So we just put up our sign and they'll be kicking down our door trying to get in, you know, because – we want something that they that they need, or we offer something they need, and uh, and that's not the reality of what happens, uh, not even close. Yeah, and I think that's one thing I noticed both in the you know you're right, like I have had a you know, longer experience with this, and I think that um, I feel really grateful to have had that opportunity to serve in the military in that capacity, but I mean really it was just dumb luck that I got the job, um, but it suited me, but I mean whether it's uh, at Fort Stewart, when we, when my first, my first real work ever um, was doing uh, redeployment screens for a unit that had been back 90, 90 days, um, and there were these folks that were these these soldiers that were identified as, uh, you know, un, you know, saying their their view, saying yes to the wrong questions, that they'd been you know bothered by mental health symptoms or symptoms of PTSD. So I would, call, you know, they went into the special trailer and talked to me. Um, and of, I think I probably did like 30 or 40 screens in that week. You know, there were probably only a, a small, less than a handful of people that said, yes, I want treatment. I want mental health care. Um, despite people talking about relationships that have fallen apart, despite people talking about drunk driving, you know, despite people talking about just being miserable, um, that only like maybe two or three out of the 40 or 30 or 40 wanted any anything to do with mental health services on their own. Um and unfortunately, like when we uh, late, you know, later in that six months leading up to my deployment, I encountered a couple, at least one of these guys um, who was being processed out of the army for substance abuse. Um, so I guess his story was that, you know, he had had problems coming back from deployment. He chose not to get mental health care and then turned to cocaine and then was getting kicked out of the army and basically his service was worth nothing. Um and I, I saw this time and time again when I was in, in the service was um, that people would say, no, I got back from deployment or, or whatever their issue, not necessarily even deployment related, but I'm okay. I'm not okay. I guess I'm okay enough to not get help. Um, and then there would be something else. There would be some kind of behavioral uh, problem. Um, and this is, again, I really want to emphasize this is not saying that, uh, mental illness is an excuse for misconduct, poor behavior, drunk driving, or anything like that, but that they didn't know how to cope, um, and, and people reach a breaking point, and then they do something that they, you know, that has long-term impact, and it's just like if they had gotten mental health care, um, if they had been, I guess, maybe strong enough to say, hey, I need help, uh, their lives would be very different right now. And and that's exactly it. And I think that's what I first saw in um, in justice involved veterans where they didn't have a choice. Right. I mean, the, the guys in the veterans courts, especially the one that I'm working in and and, and we're all similar here in Colorado in that respect, where the judge says, um, you know, the choice of whether or not you will access this treatment is out of your hands. You will go and you will talk to them. And then when they actually got into the treatment, they were like, oh. This stuff actually yeah. works, you know, but but one of the first barriers is the first, um, you know, no, I don't I don't think I need it. And this is going to pass on its own. Yeah. The, the, that, and that's really, I think, crucial is that they, there's something that's scaring these folks from uh, coming into our office uh, or coming in you know, to meet with a therapist. They, they think 
you know, and honestly, like that's me too. Um, so, you know, I've worked in the mental health field for like, going on and, you know, 13 years. And I, you know, really until only a couple of years ago, thought that there was something really wrong with me that I needed to see a therapist, you know, that I'm as a mental health professional, I should have it under control. And if I can't have it under control, there's something really wrong with me. Um, so, Mm -hmm. and the thing is like me as somebody who is working in this field exposed to the benefits of it all the time, I still have those attitudes, let alone somebody who's, you know, platoon sergeant is saying, you know, the only people that go to mental health are the ones that were kicking out of the army, you know, implicitly implying or explicitly saying, you know, no one else is going out of my soldiers don't have problems. Um, but once, you know, but you're right. Like once a soldier or Marine or a veteran gets in, whether they, however they got in, they usually are like, Hey, this isn't so bad. And this is helpful. And, and, and so that's kind of why, um, I think I've kind of switched my interest from the delivering kin- clinical care to like that whole other part of the, the iceberg. It's that for every, you know, veteran that we see, I mean, how many would you estimate are out there suffering without, without the help that they need? Now, I mean, and, and that's huge. I, I, um, I actually, on one of the um, the previous episodes, uh, I had the chair of a study that was released at the end of uh, January. Oh, um, yeah, was back on episode the, 45. The National Science and, Engineer, whatever, medical people, that huge yeah, study? Cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and so on that, and that was one of their primary findings, uh, and, and, you know, listeners can go back to episode 45 and listen to this, but... Um, 50%. So they did all of these screens, uh-huh. right? So they screened everybody, all of the veterans that they asked, they gave them the standard screening. Over 50% of the veterans that showed positive for mental health um, needs, you know, depression, anxiety, PTSD, were, uh, I think there was like 53% didn't even realize they had a problem. They didn't perceive a need um, that, uh, that there was an issue. And of the 50% or less than 50% who did perceive a need, only 25% of them um, uh, actually access care. And so 75% of the veterans, and that goes back to your iceberg thing, 75% of the veterans who screen positive for uh, a a potential mental health condition um, either didn't know they needed care or refused access to care. Yeah, and uh, so... I think this is a great plug for your, your podcast. Um, so this article is something between 300 and 400 pages. I wish I had just paid more attention to your podcast because I would have saved myself some time. Um, but yeah, that was one of the things I actually, you read the whole I didn't thing, read the whole thing. I, I kept skimming through it. Um, I see. you know, it was, I couldn't get through the whole thing either, but, but man, it was, but there was a lot of yeah, great stuff like in there. Powerful message that, that there are, there are that one, the first, takeaway is that there are people who don't realize that their suffering is due to something not not internal like that they're they're, or that it's not their fault even maybe a way to say it that there's something that happened to them and and implicit to that is that there's something that can be fixed they're just you know suffering because it without awareness um you know of 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 the cause and then also those who say yeah i know there's something wrong but I don't want help is uh, is a whole nother matter. Yeah, and I and in that, as you said, that's what we're trying to do here. And again, um, you and I, very um, uh, specifically in our own areas, are trying to raise awareness about 
um, you know, hey, this is this is actually something that works, and it and it works um, as good, um, sometimes better than medications. It works great in conjunction with medications. It definitely works better than the the bottom of a fifth of jack. Yeah. You know, I mean, and but 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 for you and I, um, I guess again independently, have been trying to bang this gong, um, and we're trying to sell a product that veterans know they need but don't want to be seen buying. Yeah, I, I think about, uh, and maybe maybe this is gonna get, hopefully doesn't get me in trouble at work, but yeah, it's like we're the dirty, like, yeah, we're like the guys in the pharmacy, like we're the, the hemorrhoid cream or we're the, you know, the, the prophylaxis. <laughs> no, that is, that is exactly the, and I was waiting to see what you came up with because that's exactly what I came up with is we're trying to sell Preparation yeah. H. That's exactly, you know, nobody wants to be caught buying it. Nobody wants to talk about why they need it. They don't want to talk about what they do with it. But it works pretty well for the problem that you buy. Yeah, and and the thing is, you're not going to tell your friends generally. Even though, even when you know, when they're complaining about the same problem. Um, Which is actually one, I guess I wanted to touch on one cool thing that was really successful that happened recently on my team. Um. I'm not going to take credit for it because it was all my, my clinician that did it. She had a client that um, I think that ended up just getting connected with us. Uh, he was a veteran for something completely unrelated in his mind, you know, than the military. Like the military didn't cause his problem in his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, got him connected with my therapist. And, you know, within, I would say, six months, seven months, he told one of his buddies who's a veteran that he worked with. Hey, I'm going to see this therapist. She's pretty cool. Give it a shot. The buddy comes in. A um, couple months after that, another referral from this same guy. Um, and you know, my therapist report, my my clinician reports. Hey, like this guy is telling his friends that not only that he's getting mental health care, but it helps. And I think maybe that last part of the message is that hey, it works is what's pulling people in. And and I absolutely agree. The message of um... It, the message goes both ways. Um, a veteran that has a bad experience with a mental health professional is going to go tell his buddies, don't even bother. And, and they're not saying this clinician wasn't a good clinician. Yeah. They're saying that this doesn't work. It's a bunch of crap. You don't need it. It didn't work for me. It's not going to work for you. Whereas if we get the word out and we explain that, hey, it does kind of work and it is all right, um, that, uh, that veterans, this is a, a common theme that keeps coming up, especially among veterans who come on the show, but, but the clinicians who come on the show see the same thing, that it has to do with veterans need permission before they access mental health care. Um, not permission as in, I will allow you to do it, but permission to say it's okay yeah. for you to. <laughs> Going back to your, your platoon sergeant there, um, how much different would it have been if the platoon sergeant says, yeah, you know what? I did it, and it worked for me, and it saved my marriage, and it'll work for you. I will allow you to go in, and I'm not going to kick you out for it. Yeah, I mean, it would have actually. I I have a, I can provide examples of platoon sergeants giving that exact same message. Um, so, I guess I don't know what what the deal is with intelligence, but they seem to be intelligent, uh, at least as far as how they address mental health needs. When we were in Iraq, we had an intelligence company, you know, that was part of our combat brigade that we saw a lot of their, 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 not just their soldiers, their NCOs, their officers, 
And the reason why is because the first sergeant said, hey, um, you guys are, this is hard work. I'm seeing a counselor. You guys should go too. He says, I need you to be, I need, I need you to be sleeping. I need you to not be distracted by the, at that point, MySpace nonsense. I need you to get along with your coworkers. And we've got a resource for that. And he said, not only did he give them permission, because these were folks who were, you know, in these box, you know, blacked out window rooms, um, you know, 20, you know, 12 hours at a time, but he would give them time to go leave, to go to mental health appointments. Um, and he would bring them himself. And he even brought one of his platoon sergeants. And I mean, it was cool. Um, and, and, and I think that one thing that we saw from that unit is not a single soldier had to be, you know, evac early or had to redeploy early. Um, you know, and again, these were all very highly trained soldiers that had a very special skill. Um, and they're, and basically their, 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 uh, first sergeant gave them permission. He said, no, like if you have this issue, you're going to take care of it because I'm taking care of it. Um, and then my, my work at Fort Meade, I saw similar things where we, you know, Fort Meade is where the NSA is, is where people who work at the white house and Pentagon get mental health treatment. And we were seeing folks that, you know, would, would, you know, who, who were very much afraid that the career was going to get impacted by like the mental health question on the SF-86, but they would often be brought in, Hey, my, my, uh, master sergeant in the air force told me to come down here. He said, Hey, you need to get help for this. And there's a resource and then also allow them the time. So I have, it, it is cool. There is a very big difference between the unit, uh, that has the, the positive, uh, you know, kind of salesman, internal salesman for mental health, uh, than the unit that does not. And I think that's where, and it goes back to the gaps and, and there's gaps. Of course, we talk about the, the civilian military divide. Um, but there's gaps, especially when it comes to veteran mental health between mental health providers, uh, and the clients that, that we're trying to serve, the, the veterans that we're trying to help. Uh, and that's where, again, you, you know, where you said you're shifting away from direct providing service to, um, to getting the word out and kind of stepping into that gap and letting other veterans know, hey, this stuff, it, it actually works. And it works well and it works quickly. Um, but if you don't put preparation H on it, it's never going to heal and you're just going to be uncomfortable yeah. for a very, very long time. Yeah. And, and no one wants to be the guy chapter out of the army for hemorrhoids, you know, like that's a, you know, when right. it could have been prevented. Um, and, and that those gaps are there and, and, and we as mental health professionals who both happen to be veterans, maybe we feel like that we can, we hope that we can reach everybody, you know, kind of like we've got this message and we need to tell people about it. But really, like, for every veteran that listens to your podcast or every veteran that I encounter at, like, a street fair or something, there's going to be however many hundred who don't um, hear from us directly. And that's why we need other veterans to fill this gap. And But I think that uh, there's, there's even barriers yeah. there, Carl. I mean, and just um, where getting veterans uh, or even community members yeah. um, uh, to to be interested or, I mean, and again, everybody thinks they know it's PTSD, it's TBI. And there's, I mean, we're, we're, you know, I don't know, rolling. It's like Sisyphus, yeah. right? We're, we're trying to trudge this great big ball up a, a hill uh, and then it keeps running down. How do we, how do we counteract against One that? thing that we've got working against us as, that, as veterans, you know, that or our community that we're trying to serve is that we are all tough. We're all awesome. We've all done something great. Um, and that, we're stubborn because, you know, when we were deployed, 
or even in garrison, like we're not going to, every time that we take a knee and take care of ourselves, somebody else is having to pick up the slack that, you know, if you're going to the dentist to get that tooth pulled, somebody else is in the motor pool, PMCS in your vehicle. Um, and what we really, that's such short term thinking because what happens when you get your tooth becomes abscessed and you have to miss work for three weeks when it could have been a hour appointment much earlier. Hmm. So that's a, that's an interesting concept, but wasn't that the way things were in the military? It was all, you know, 50 and a hundred meter targets and we'll worry, we'll worry about the 300 meter target when it becomes the hundred meter target. Like, so is it, is it part of the military mindset that, you know, we'll just avoid the problem until it becomes the problem and we'll deal with it. Yeah. Then. It's like, we'll patch it up and keep going. Cause we got, we got, we got it. We don't have enough time and we don't have enough resources. And yeah, let's that 300 meter targets, not going to stab you with a pitchfork until they get close to 50 meters. And then you just take care of it. Um, I think about like the one thing that is interesting is that the military cares about safety. And I feel like that, that we, PMCS our vehicles, we replace parts, um, you know, we, re- we overhaul airplane engines after they've had, you know, so much time, whether they need it, whether there's something wrong with it or not. Um, but that when it comes to our soldiers, we don't do that. No, that's, uh, that's exactly right. It's one of the blog posts I think I, I've, I've written before about some of the reasons to go see a mental health professional. It has nothing to do with PTSD. And one of the reasons is we PMCSed our equipment. We, we conducted preventive maintenance on our equipment when we were in the military. We can provide preventive maintenance on our minds yeah. and our bodies and our souls, right? And, and we can um, get things um, taken care of. And I, I think it's, um, uh, and in that uh, blog post, I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes, but uh, we talk about uh, Mental Health America, their idea of before stage four. Um, you know, with its cancer, if it's diabetes, um, if it's, you know, uh, certain, you know, these physical ailments, they want to catch it at stage one. You don't want to get it to stage four because then it's too late. And so people will go access, you know, uh, healthcare before, you know, at the very slightest indication. But with mental health, we wait until stage four, until something happens. And then finally we come in. Um, you know, the veterans come into you and I, um, is we're like the psychological emergency room. They're bleeding from a thousand places. And now it's, Hey doc, patch me back Mm -hmm. up. Whereas if we would have gotten in early, we wouldn't have gone to an emergency situation. And then also just the cost of all of those things that they've lost along the way, you know, the justice involved veteran who's had a mental health challenge since 2003, you know? But it wasn't until that he, he or she was forced to get the help that they actually got it. Um, I mean, I guess the, maybe to bring it back to like the gaps, like, I don't know, what do you see as a gap that can be targeted? Well, I mean, and, and this is some of the challenge, I think, is the awareness gap. Um, that's the, the problem that we need to solve is not veteran suicide. Uh, it's not veteran homelessness. It's not veteran unemployment. The, the true source of the problem, I believe, is the lack of awareness, A, that there's something to address, and B, that there's something um, that's beneficial uh, to addressing that. Um, so that, I think, is the bottom line overall thing. Um, and, and everybody's trying to solve the other problems without addressing the root cause. 
Uh, and so really we're talking about root cause analysis of veteran suicide, homelessness, um, you know, uh, justice involvement, all of these indicators, the root cause is untreated and undiagnosed mental health conditions. Um, and that's really, again, what, what you're trying to do with your advocacy piece uh, and, and getting out in your community and what I'm trying to do online with the podcast and the blog. Um, and then once we do, and this is my fear, or maybe my hope first and then my fear, is that once we do raise awareness, veterans are going to come knocking on a door, getting ready to get help, and then that leads to other barriers that exist uh, to care. Yeah, yeah, that if we're proposing this problem, you know, shouting it from the rafters, and there's got to be somebody ready there to, to deliver the, the help that they need. And, and I think that's why it's so important what we're doing out in the community is that, um, you know, this is a community issue. You know, the community benefits from the healthy veteran and pays the burden of the, the unhealthy veteran that, um, that we can, I mean, we all have heard the message that something's wrong with the VA and I honestly happen to be getting excellent mental health care from the VA and I'm very happy with it. Um, but there, that, that's not an answer for everybody. And it's not just, I think it's, it's not just you go to the VA for mental health care or you get nothing. Um, because that misses out on a lot of veterans, you know, often the ones that are most in need. Um, and also, like, let's give people some preferences. Let's give people choices. You know, people want choices. Um, and I think that's where we as a community need to be ready to step in is not say, hey, wait, you know, hey, veteran, when you're ready to come around and, and try our idea, you know, the, the VA is right there. But rather, hey, veteran, you know, what are you, you know, your need is right now. How can we address it? Is, it can be very helpful. But there's a, there's a lot of barriers, you know, barriers to access. Yeah. And that's something that, uh, that, that you said that you're really now uh, trying to look into. But, but there are, once we do get the veterans to say, okay, yes, got it, big bald guy, you know, I've got a problem yeah. and I want help, but now I reach yeah. out. What, what barriers are there to, that, that a veteran can run into? I think a, a big one is just the kind of the language. Like the veteran doesn't know what to ask for, um, mm -hmm. I think, or even communicate it. Uh, that for many veterans, like these mental health challenges are a huge source of shame, you know, especially if they feel like they're not fulfilling their role, you know, as a husband or a mother or, or what employee that they don't know how to quite describe what's going on. And, and they may, um, you know, because they don't know the language or they don't know what the, what their, what the issue is. They may not be able to get connected to the right person, um, you know, in a timely manner. And so I think that it's important to educate veterans like, hey, this is, you know, these are mental health challenges or mental illness that when you feel like when you're about being tired all the time and not the right thing like that you read about in men's health or maybe it's depression. You know, let's 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 give you some vocabulary um, and let's give you the questions to ask. You know, I, I, does that come down to, you know, we should call it something other than veteran mental health? Because I'll tell you how I feel about it, or, you know, a rose by any other name. Uh, but you saw it when you were in, the military changed it from mental health to behavioral health, and it had the same stigma. It's not what we, it's not the language we use, it's the attitudes towards the, the product, I guess. Yeah, and even while we were deployed, we called it combat stress, and people were still mocking that, you know? that 
that maybe there is something even bigger. There is certainly other things bigger than that. Um, and, and I think that we, as, as, as a community need to have a kind of a different way of talking about veterans who have mental health challenges that they're not, uh, you know, it's easy to focus on the ones who are committing suicide. It's easy to focus on the ones who are homeless or who are justice involved, but like, what about this, the strong veteran, like the, the, you know, now Sergeant major who uh, saw a therapist, um, you know, off post, of course, you know, uh, in 2008 um, and is now, you know, Sergeant major, you know, what about those, the, that's what we need to, instead of, you know, celebrate, celebrate, the uh, the veterans that have the strength and there's a couple interesting campaigns that are going on about that you know from the DOD or the VA um, but I think that that more needs to be done at a community level and maybe some of that is individual veterans self-disclosing hey you know like yeah that crazy veteran that that you are railing against just trying to get benefits well I you know I have I've had PTSD since I got back from Kate song back in 68 um, and that's a big ask, though. Yeah, and I think again, this is uh, while um, in 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 no way you know tooting the old horn here, but um, veterans who've come on like uh, Jeff Adamek, who is a, a, a highly decorated Green Beret, uh, has come yeah. on and talked about his own um, you know experience with mental health, or David Smith, um, who is a, a, a again a decorated Marine Corps. Um, was was involved early on with Team Rubicon, who has a, a great position now as a, a, a Bush scholar from the Bush Institute, uh, and he talks about his struggles with moral injury. Uh, and so we, we have these episodes on, on this podcast where veterans mm-hmm. are coming out and they're talking about this. Um, and again, that leads to the, um, if that guy can talk about it, then I can talk about this. Um, and And again... Um, it's happening slowly, you know, one pebble, two pebble, three pebbles, um, mm-hmm. and, and not necessarily getting it to be the landslide um, that's really going to make a seismic shift. Do you think they can get to the point where we do have that landslide? And what would it take? Um, you know, I, I, you know, these stories of it takes 18 years to become an overnight success kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but I guess if we step back and we look at it, um, you and I are seeing veterans um, who are finally deciding to step in, either, you know, justice involved, not but even they're, they're told to um, actually uh, one of the other guests, Dr. Kidd yeah. says to reach out for help. One of three things that you, you're you're told to do it by one of three things, your lawyer, your lover, or your liver. Right. You know, so either the relationship yeah. or justice involvement. But we're seeing veterans come in five years after um, uh, Iraq or Afghanistan compared to 30 years after. And so a shift maybe start is starting to come um, and and veterans are starting to acknowledge this earlier and earlier. And I think, yes, we're going to have a setback, but but maybe this is a movement um, that's that's going to make a difference. I mean, we're we're really in this for kind of the long haul. Yeah, I, th- I think that's maybe another thing that's really important to note is that we, I think I want this problem to be solved overnight. Um, I hope all of us want this, you know, to wake up tomorrow and never hear about another veteran completing suicide. But yeah, let's look at the change in generations. Um, so I have a Korean War veteran who's 88 mm-hmm. um, that, that I meet with occasionally. And 
And I and he didn't start talking about these problems until you know he he retired very late in life until he was in his early to mid 80s and he was talking to family members and they said hey we'd never heard these stories before um, and then the family member a family member knew me and said hey why don't you talk talk to Carl um, and then you know in this message that I get from him and that he wants everybody to know is don't wait until you're 80 um, don't wait 60 years. And just the fact that, yeah, when he got back, there was nothing. You know, Vietnam veterans got back. There wasn't really much. But within, you know, organically, they developed the vet centers. But the fact that we are, as a nation, talking about veterans' men- mental health issues and the fact that there are solutions is going to hopefully push people into care. Um, and and, and five, five, within five years, is better than within 30. Right. And I, and I think that's that's really... Um, you know, uh, again, why I started this podcast is the conversation is going in that direction, um, is that veterans are talking about mental health. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I'm an avid podcast listener, uh, and I've had several of the, the hosts on the show. Um, but, uh, but veterans were talking about veteran mental health on these non-mental health shows, right? On the veteran transition shows yeah. and, um, and, and I've heard, uh, you know, John Lee Dumas, and, and he's not even a veteran pod. He's a veteran who has this huge podcast, but he's come on shows and talked about how challenging his transition was out of the military. And he was, uh, you know, he was purposelessness and he was lost and, and, and all of this existential stuff that you and I, as mental health professionals, we have in our back pocket. So veterans are talking about this, but they're not talking about it with mental health professionals uh, in the room, and that's where the gap that that we, the mental health industry, is coming um, late to the game. Um, I was, uh, you might not be surprised how many of our colleagues are not on Twitter, um, you know, uh, talking about mental health. I was actually just talking to somebody today, and out of respect, I'm not gonna, but but we were talking about how to use the Twitter, right? You know, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, and and just and and that's one of the things, but. But if we really have to meet the veteran where they're at, we have to use, we, we have to meet them where they're at. And a lot of that's through social media and online and having these discussions out in the open. Um, but, but we see a shift. If we look at a shift between, um, you know, legacy VSOs, so to speak, the VFW and the American yeah. Legion, um, and then the new age VSOs like uh, Team Rubicon, Mission Continues, these these new nonprofits, Psych Armor, um, uh, Travis Mannion Foundation, um, the uh, uh, Pat Tillman Foundation, all of these yeah. these n- next generation, um, they've emerged because a need was there, and they're serving a need um, that uh, you know that the veteran that that a current era veteran is one. So there's an evolution, and and yes, I truly do believe that we are at an evolutionary place in which um, it's going to come in. But in the meantime, we know that there's veterans out there suffering. So we're caught in this place. Yeah. How do we balance? I mean, you're right. Like it's let's, let's, let's balance it. Um, And I think that one thing that a lot of these, um, you know, younger non-legacy VSOs mission continues team Rubicon is that they were in some ways, a lot of them were established, as a response to mental health challenges, if not called that, that, um, 
veterans were saying we need to we can we need to do something ourselves and mental health pro- providers really weren't part of that conversation very in the earliest stages but um have gotten on board pretty quick yeah i mean and that's that's exactly it um and and that's where my concern and it's always been is if mental health professionals like you and i are not at the table when it comes to talking about uh moral injury and needs fulfillment and you know, uh, um, purpose and meaning and family systems and emotion. If we're not there, then people who don't have the, the expertise, the clinical training, are going to talk about it anyway. Uh, yeah. And that's when we, we get less than effective interventions for pretty significant mental health concerns. Yeah, the, you're right. I mean, the, these conversations are happening everywhere. And, but again, arose by any other name. If they're talking about, if they're, you know, and, and Team Rubicon and Red, White, and Blue and Mission Continues, they do great things. Um, and how do we get, uh, but, but again, if, it, if, that's, if the response to uh, depression and suicidal thoughts and PTSD is let's chainsaw some dead trees in the, you know, in a wildfire area, that's great for many, many veterans. That's enough for many, many veterans, but there is a huge sizable amount that need the professional assistance. Right. And, and I agree. And I, and I am a, a huge proponent of, um, again, in who we keep talking about team Rubicon mission. I think they're doing excellent work. Um, and, and even, um, you know, project sanctuary, you're familiar with them, of course, yeah. being here in Colorado. Uh, we had James pond and veterans path. Um, can, can I the, throw a shout out for uh, another group? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So in Baltimore, there's a group called the Sixth Branch, and they've been active since 2009, really, uh, working on community change through through service at the local level. Um, I've been, you know, have, have been involved with them. But yeah, this is happening all over our country. Right. And so there's these programs, and and even you know, if we we look at the Wounded Warrior Project, where um, their project odysseys and things like that. Um, and so veterans are having these very meaningful, purposeful events, uh, but then they come back and now what, right? They're, you know, what is still there to, to kind of carry on? Uh, and so, uh, again, like um, uh, Project Sanctuary, they do have this follow-up. They don't just come down out of the mountains and then the veteran kind of goes away. But um, I, I'm, I was struck by, I don't know if you saw back in January, uh, Michael Phelps had come out and talked about his struggle with depression yeah. that happened after every single Olympics. And this dude, you know, top of the world, I mean, he, high, you know, most decorated Olympian. Yeah. The and he comes back and he no longer has that. There is this cycle and we see it post-deployment. I was on top of the world. Now, what am I? If I retire from swimming, am I going to be, you know, so-and-so and so, and, and without that, that continued care, it can be in a very dangerous place. And, and that's what can happen with veterans if it's not sustained. Okay, you know, I, I did great things. I went down to Houston. I went down to Florida. I, I helped with the hurricane. And now I'm coming back and I don't know how to sustain that meaning and purpose and regulate my emotions and control my PTSD and things like that. And yeah. so that's where the benefit can be working with the mental health professional. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you're getting another fix. Um, you know, of that rush of that purpose, but then what, um, you know, I mean, Michael Phelps is not going to be able to, you know, continue to participate in Olympia Olympics the rest of his life. So how does he, 
you know, adapt to that? You know, or how does that veteran adapt to the fact that they're never going to be, you know, doing convoy security in Afghanistan again? You know, and I think that's part of it is like, yeah, you need a, you may need a professional to do, to do that. But the professional needs to be in the conversation. And the fact that you need a professional doesn't mean you're, that you're crazy. And that's the no. other piece is the fact that the fact that you, you know, that a mental health professional has the clinical training and experience, the clinical skills to be able to hold space, right? That's what we do is we, we, we kind of create space in our offices or in our, you know, in our places that this is a safe place for you to kind of work out some of the understanding and these emotions that, that a, a person that is trained uh, to clinically hold space for someone like that, um, it's it's a coach it's a mentor right and it's but it's somebody that has the the understanding of the you know we we, we learn psychology we study psychology yeah you know frankel and yalam and and all of these you know choice theory and act and um and all of these different theoretical aspects that someone who's just trying to make a veteran feel better doesn't actually make them be better yeah, it's about it's about that change that's happening, not just the patch. Um, so, I mean, I think about it. It's like you're you have a car that's making a sound, right? And you and your you know your buddy Gus can start poking around at the different things and maybe watching some YouTube videos. Um, but it's you know you take it to a mechanic. The mechanic knows what he's doing and can help and can fix it. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. Um, and but then we're kind of trained to know that there's something here that's out of my scope, right? There's there's something yeah. here that's beyond my capability. When it comes to <laughs> this is a an amusing story that uh, when I was in Iraq, uh, non combat injury, um, you know, cranked my ankle pretty bad to the point where looking at it later. Um, I tore some tendons, but of course, wow. dumb old Sarge doesn't go to the aid station. He goes to his medic and the medic yeah. looks at it and says, Hey, you know, wrap it up. Here's some Motrin and, and he, I'll throw you some crutches. And I was on crutches and I limped around for a week and a half and then find out seven months later when it doesn't go away that I had improperly healed ruptured tendons because my dumb butt didn't go to the person who actually had the the clinical training to, to look at my ankle? Like he was playing Rubik's cube. He looked at it. And he was like, ah, "Yeah, it's good." Right? Yeah, and I've seen that before. Yeah, just go. Just yeah, take some Motrin. Love you, Doc. I mean, it's great. You know, it's like docs are the medics are cool, but then there's certain times where um, it, it rises above our level of expertise. However, we're, the car is so expensive, or the yeah. leaky pipe is so expensive. Or, you know, the, the this is mm -hmm. so critical that I'm going to do that sooner rather than later. But somehow we don't do that with mental health. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing is, like, we, we talk to these, we talk to veterans, you know, who, or even I can, I'll speak from my own experience. Um, you know, I really wish I had dealt with some of these things a long time ago. And the time that I lost is priceless. Like, that that's something I think that I, that's important that, emphasizes the you know the time value of money like how much is you know a, a year of feeling better worth yeah and and i and and again um i i don't know um if, if we've come up with that solution other than um it's that that old story about the old man on the beach with the starfish right you know yeah 
I, one I can't clean up the whole beach, but at least I save this one. And and while yes, that may keep us going, but that's not ultimately satisfying. Um, that uh, that you know we know you and I know that there are veterans out there that can benefit from the work that we're doing, um, and it can be frustrating um, not being able to do that. And I think that really that's the thing is just these conversations that we're having, one conversation at a time. Uh, you know, archiving these conversations in the podcast and and really yeah. just. You know, and, and, and spreading it out. And, and that's the thing, again, um, that, you know, we're, we're not going to get thousands and thousands of hits on, on the blogs or the podcasts because it's still kind of a taboo subject. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. yeah. But you're right. I, I really like the, I don't know, for me, like, I feel like this conversation has been like a real kind of grounding to, well, back to what, you know, what are we really doing right now? And it, it, we're it's still the early stages and we're helping, we're helping veterans and families. Um, and at the end of the day, that, that if one veteran hears this podcast and decides to follow up or one husband says, Hey honey, I heard this podcast. Um, you know, what do you think about getting some help for anger? Um, then that's a big difference, you know? And, and I think that, you know, and, and we can, you know, in, um, what is it that, uh, you know, faith, faith is things unseen and, and, and we're not going to be able to see, um, a lot of these things come to fruition perhaps, but, uh, you know, in, in look at Bessel van der Kolk and, and really with PTSD and how it's, how the understanding about veteran mental health has advanced in the last 40 years. Um, and then where is yeah. it going to be 10 years from now and things like that? So it's, it's sort of, um, and it's a matter of the clinical work that you and I are doing are addressing this in the current time where we're also addressing the future um, and, and sort of trying to get the word out. So, and, and it's, it's what you've been doing again, you and I have been talking about this. I, I kind of ribbed you a little bit. I've been wanting you to come on the podcast since the beginning. Yeah. And I should have. Um, but I think like we've talked about is that, I think that I've felt this project, this problem, this, this project, this movement is so huge that like, what am I really doing to make it better? And, um, you're right. Like, it's like, yeah. I mean, if this conversation had happened three years ago, maybe it would have impacted someone then, you know, and, and I'm glad I got to do it. I think this is exciting. Um, but I think you're right. There is no magic bullet and, it's that slow, slow change is what's going to happen. Well, it's uh, in its analogy, I think I haven't used uh, in in a pretty long time, but it's eating the elephant, right? You know, what do you? Yeah. How do you eat an elephant? You need to just pick an ear and start chewing, because if you stand back and say, "Man, there's no way I'm going to eat that elephant," then it's it's going to stay uneaten. And so, you know, if if you pick the left ear and I pick the right ear, and somebody else. You know, yeah. and, and if enough of us start to come around and, and we have been having some great conversations, um, you know, we've had uh, Marjorie Morrison from Psych Armor on the show and, and Heather Kelly, um, you know, from the APA, um, uh-huh. you know, and and we've had some national people that that are if if we're all having these conversations in our communities, the more conversations we have, the more communities will be reached and then. Ultimately, the goal of making veteran mental health as common as talking about the weather, yeah. we'll get there. Yeah, you're right. And, and 
and if if we even look at, I mean, do you even? So you were in in two thousand three when I was sleeping sixteen hours a day in college. Um, you know, we're, when was the, did you hear anybody talk about mental health in relation to soldiers? Um, maybe no, less so, uh, or not. And, well. and well, and so I think back on that time, and we're going time machine here. Yeah, um, I had just so um, funny backstory. Not that I've ever hidden it, but I was a recruiter. As a matter of fact, you and I have talked about it because yeah. I was a recruiter at Fort Meade at the time. Uh, but I was a recruiter, uh, and it was right when I was leaving Germany. Uh, I wanted to go to the 101st, and since uh, my my assignments manager said, oh, you want to volunteer for something? Here huh. you go. Okay. We got so, you. Um, it, but, but even then, um, the stress of being a recruiter and what many people didn't know and this emerged um, uh, several years later, is the U.S. Army Recruiting Command had a pretty significantly high suicide rate because of the stress of being a recruiter. But it was something that you just dealt with it. I think somebody somebody told me once, there's three things that you get out of recruiting, or three things that you find in recruiting, alcoholism, a divorce, or Jesus. Um, And that was sort of the... The, the joke, but it was the stress there. Uh, thinking back beyond that when I was in Germany, um, and it was, it was always something that was, you know, it was an anomaly. It was that trailer that they stuck you in, right? It was that uh, uh, a purple folder or sticker or the elevator of shame, but it was always this, this sort of taboo place um, that, uh, that, that was to be avoided and not something that it was always the last resort, never the first resort. Yeah, and the thing is, there were changes in the recruiting command. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not perfect now, but I think it's probably a, a little bit better. Yeah, and and even to the changes, you know, what you're talking about. This kind would you know, and not that there were podcasts back uh, then, but was this conversation actually happening? No, um, you know, with with uh, uh, you know Jeff Adamack or Dave Smith coming on and coming out openly and saying, these are the struggles I've had, um, then uh, no, they wouldn't have happened. So hang in there, Carl. You know, our you life uh, our life, our life, expectancies are like 80, so maybe we'll see it when we're, you know, yeah. 82. Yeah, if only we had, we'll have some hair left by then. Yeah, well, oh, that's a... Too soon. That's, yeah, too soon, much too soon. Actually, 10, 15 years too late. Well, yeah. hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Carl. I know this yeah. was a little bit more free-ranging and, and stuff like that, but I, I think this is a conversation that's really beneficial. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, this is great, and there's a lot of, I mean, there's just a lot of great brains in this, and uh, glad, glad to be able to work with you on this. Yes, and, and uh, maybe you'll come on and, and be a friend of the show, and, and we'll have many more rambling conversations like this. I, think I, I hope great. so. Yeah. All right. Take care. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. If you couldn't tell, Carl and I could talk about this for hours and actually have in the past. If I remember correctly, we had this conversation late on a Friday at the end of a long week for both of us, and yet we were still able to get in some really good points. The challenge that Carl brought out is one that's frustrating for many of us in the mental health field. How do we reach veterans? How do we help them understand that talking to a mental health counselor, a therapist, can actually help make their post-military lives better? 
to relieve some of the stress and anxiety that gets in our way. In this episode, Carl flips the table on me and puts me on the spot. What can be done to bridge the gaps that exist? Like I said in this episode, it's this right here. Me talking, you listening, and sometimes you talking and me listening. Having a conversation about the realities of mental health, why veterans avoid it, why we don't want to talk about it. If each of us, in our own small way, were to have meaningful discussions about it, then maybe things would change. And things are changing. It's one of the reasons that Eddie and Bennett brought me onto the Change Your POV podcast network, because they both realized that there weren't enough discussions about veteran mental health. That's the whole point of this show, the Headspace and Timing blog, the ebook, the actual book, to have an honest discussion about veteran mental health. Speaking about getting the word out, I'm going to start doing something to support organizations that are looking to spread the word about veteran mental health. It's been just under a month since the release of the last Headspace and Timing book, Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. I've had a few veteran nonprofits reach out and ask how they could get some copies of the book for their organizations. I've decided to donate a number of free books to many different organizations based on how many have been sold. I'm looking for programs that are interested in participating. Reach out to me at Dwayne at VeteranMentalHealth.com to start a discussion about what the program looks like. If you want to help spread the word and get free books in the hands of organizations doing great work, then check it out at VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash combat vet book. Next week, we're highlighting another great organization supporting veterans in their post-military life, Sentinels of Freedom. You'll really enjoy hearing the great work they're doing for veterans education. Till then, stay focused and be well. I'd like to thank the Change Your POV Podcast Network for hosting this show and highlighting the critical importance of veteran mental health. We want to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email at Dwayne at VeteranMentalHealth.com. You can find me at Twitter at The Counseling Vet or head on over to Facebook and look for the Change Your POV Squad. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com or ChangeYourPOV.com. Sign up for updates on either or both so you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. The show about remembering our military history and reviving our warrior spirit, changing hearts and minds. The show about outdoor activities that us veterans love so much, Neophyte in the Woods. The show that helps us get going at the beginning of the week, Motivation Monday. And Attack Fridays, the show that brings you actionable tips, tricks, and coachable knowledge to help you make the best of your transition. While you're checking out the other shows, drop us a review in iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. The reviews really help spread the word about what we're doing. If you're looking for the total package for all the information you need to live the life you want after leaving the military, you found it. If you know of a buddy who's looking for the same info, share it with them so they can find it too. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is somebody who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get the album by going to therealdoctod.com. Check it out. Because remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability So many, so much pain on this planet.
every last threat of my identity Conquer my fragility, eliminate the enemy Deliver me, God, from temptation Tell me that this life is just a matrix Need a facelift, back to basics Vision LASIKs, I only feel alive when I hear the bass kick Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.